Welcome back, Just Fantasy Baseball. Today we're going to be breaking down some outfield sleepers, guys we like, guys that we, you know, are trying to stay away from. But I introduce us as we, but, you know, I'm your host, Colby Olson, as always. I'm not joined by Clay today, though. I'm joined by Dan Preciato. He's uh, a friend of mine that, you know, Dan, before I introduce you, I think that we've been friends now for like four years. Four, four years ago, we were in at spring training in Arizona doing the Sabre uh, Diamond Dollars competition, you know, presenting whatever analytics model we had created. And that's when we met. Um, so now four years later, you are coming on Just Fantasy Baseball. But just to give Dan's little background here, he he um, graduated from or not graduated yet, but, you know, he, about to graduate from Syracuse Sport Analytics, um, same major that I studied. So we just have that in common. And he's a fantasy beast. So happy to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Colby. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm like a very avid listener of the podcast, and it's pretty cool that you are having me on. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, man, we we text a lot about fantasy baseball, and it seems that we a lot of times agree on stuff, and then other times mm-hmm. completely disagree. Like we're usually just on either end of the spectrum. So you're gonna probably get some heated debate. You're probably gonna get you know some massive agreement today um but first before we get into the episode today's episode is sponsored by marlboro red cigarettes um that's that's the official sponsor because you can hear my voice i'm just kidding it's not the actual sponsor but i'm going through a little cold right now so it sounds like i smoked a pack before i hopped on the show um (laughs) but anyways we're gonna get right into it dan I'll, i'll throw it over to you first um so basically the rundown for this is um, we're going to be running through kind of like ADP tiers. So we're going to pick a couple outfielders within ADP tier 100 to 200, picking a couple guys we like each out of there, then moving to 200 to 300, picking a guy we like there, and then move to some guys that are deep, more deep cuts, deep, you know, might be drafted, might not be drafted, guys we think you should draft ahead of their ADP. And then we'll talk about some guys we think you should stay away from so um we're gonna hit on a lot of names today and uh yeah so dan give me your give me your first yeah so yeah i definitely want to talk about it's jake mccarthy um he's somebody that's really intriguing to me in in roto formats just because of the stolen base potential i mean you look at his savant page he's a 98th percentile sprint speed guy and even though i think he really outperformed last year in a bunch of categories kind of came out and was a guy that intrigued a lot of people it was supposed to be you know alec thomas and corbin carroll and then eventually turned into oh look at there's corbin carroll and wow jake mccarthy's doing his thing and i thought he you know he was excellent his numbers batted ball data is not exactly amazing but when you talk about a guy that has potential to steal 35 40 bases this season with his sprint speed and you know the the new uh bags there there's a chance that he could return some really good value the interesting thing here, Dan, is you bring up Corbin Carroll because they're being drafted very close together, right? Like Corbin Carroll mm-hmm. right now is going ADP 75, but like, you know, it really depends what league you're in there. He went 83 in a league I, I drafted in last night. He went 100 in a league I did, you know, uh, a few weeks ago. And then Jake McCarthy, 
He's going ADP 112 right now, but he went 94th overall in a draft I did last night. So like well ahead of his ADP. And really, they were only drafted 11 spots apart. Like how, what's the separation there for you? Like, you know, are, are, is Corbin Carroll worth that much more than Jake McCarthy to you? I would say so just because the prospect pedigree is there with Corbin Carroll. Like, as you know, we've probably talked about Corbin Carroll is like my favorite prospect ever. Um, so, you know, I always go to bat for him, but I think that he, the difference in actual hitting ability and maybe something that I refer to as like an average floor when it comes to fantasy baseball, I think Corbin Carroll has that just because he is such a good hitter, like a good real life hitter. We haven't, we don't really know what Jake McCarthy is at this point. Um, you know, batted ball data kind of shows us that he may not be a 283 hitter moving forward, but I don't know if that matters. Um, I think probably going to steal similar bases in, in terms of uh total. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I see that. I mean, 23 stolen bases in 99 games is pretty ridiculous. And he's done that, you know, throughout his entire minor league career as well. And he also has been, an above average hitter for most of his minor league career as well. I don't think he's a 283 hitter, and I I don't think really anybody believes that, but I don't think that really dictates his draft price either. I think the one question I have for Jake McCarthy is also where is he going to find everyday playing time? Because you have Lourdes Gurriel added to the equation now. You have Alec Thomas, who should be in the mix. I mean, Kyle Lewis really isn't someone that you should worry about. But then Corbin Carroll, like, I would think Corbin Carroll breaks camp with them and starts every day in center, right? Is that crazy? Oh, yeah. I No, he should. He should. I mean, he's getting drafted as such. But I think that he's he's big league ready now. Where You do bring up a good point with McCarthy, though, is uh, the playing time. But I think having the DH in the NL is going to be something that's really big for him because – he did DH at times last year just so they could get his bat in the lineup because he was hot down the stretch. Yeah, no, I think that I think you're totally right there. And like, you know, there's so many bats in this Diamondbacks lineup, but like if you play good enough defense, you're going to steal bats. He's going to have an impact on the, on this team more than say like an Evan Longoria or like Lourdes Gurriel. I don't know. I think that he can find places and I don't know. Also, I like, I still question if Alec Thomas is really ready yet. Like he might use some seasoning in triple A. You never know. He should break camp, but like, you never know. You'd really never know. So I think he'll find a bats. Absolutely. Um, the first guy I'm going to start with is um, Alex Verdugo. And Alex Verdugo. And I know one of the, your guys, you texted me your list of guys that you're going to want to talk about today. So I'm, I'm setting you up here a little bit, but I look at where Steven Kwan is being drafted. And I go down the list, like Stephen Kwan's being drafted, you know, ADP 120 right now. Some places being taken higher than that. And he had an amazing season last year. But then I look at Alex Verdugo and he's being taken like ADP 200, right? And Alex Verdugo, I feel like he's getting no respect because it's very, Alex Verdugo is the example of like had a disastrous two month start last season where he was reportedly dealing with a toe injury that was completely throwing him off. Right. I think he had like a 53 WRC plus through the first two months of the season. Then from June 1st on he hit 302 with eight home runs, 59 runs and 50 RBIs. Like you extrapolate that. I think that was over like 460, 470 plate appearances. You give him another 150 plate appearances. Like He's probably approaching 80 runs, 80 RBIs. Maybe he hits a few more home runs. But if he's doing that with a 300 average and 
the Red Sox have put an emphasis on him coming into this year to get faster, to get stronger. They want him to steal more bags. Like the upside for Alex Verdugo this year is immense at his current draft price. And I think he's one guy that I, I want to emphasize to leave your draft with an outfield. But the other thing I want to emphasize is some places he's being drafted well ahead of his ADP. I mean, in a draft last night, I think he went like 60 spots ahead of his ADP. So a guy that if you really like, which I do, you need to target him early. Um, but a guy that I'm all in on this year. Yeah, Verdugo is interesting to me. I mean, I had the benefit of watching him as a Dodger fan, just kind of rise through the ranks. I think he's a guy, though, that it really depends on what format you're playing in. When it comes to Roto, I don't think he's going to be as valuable, even though he is a very good real-life hitter. He's going to hit for a high average. His power is, I, I don't expect to see much. But the lineup's solid. You know, the Red Sox lineup is is all right. And when it comes to points leagues, it's a different story. I think he's really one of those guys that I would find myself targeting also just because he is such a good real life hitter and will, will return more value there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like he stole six bags in 2021. He stole four bags in the short in 2020 season. And then he only stole one last year and he got caught stealing twice. Like, I really think that he steals more bags this year. I'm going to wager he steals more than six. Like, I, I think that's where I'm setting my line at. Most projection systems have him at four. I'm thinking he outproduces, but... Hey, I am a Red Sox fan. Like sometimes you have to tell me to pump the brakes, but Verdugo really is a guy that I'm putting, you know, kind of my brand at risk a little bit on how high I am on him. <laughs> um, but yeah, hit me with another one of your guys. I know, and we could even touch on Steven Kwan too, because I know that that's a guy that you brought up as, as a guy you, that you're potentially staying away from too. Yeah, I mean, there's, I guess there's two ways we can go with this, but uh, I, I guess I'll talk about Stephen Kwan. So Stephen Kwan's a guy that I have loved. Um, I loved him last year. I thought he was an excellent value and, you know, he was past pick 300 everywhere. This year, things are a little bit different because everybody knows how good Stephen Kwan is. Um, average is a category in fantasy baseball that is really hard to come by, and he's going to provide that. And he's also probably going to steal even more bases than he did last year in a very good lineup batting up top of it. I just think the price is way too steep for a guy where you know that he's not going to hit home runs and he's not going to drive in runs. And the the most you can really expect from him is three category production. That's going to be really good, but you're leaving out two categories that, you know, maybe a guy could do better in all five in a different part of the draft. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just like, it's a tough pill to swallow at that point in the draft. Um, but, at the same time, I feel like, and I didn't really preface this at the beginning of the episode, is I don't like the outfield crop this year at all for fantasy. Like, I'm actually finding it somewhat difficult to really find guys that I really like at their price. Like, Clay and I went through the top 20, and it was the easiest episode because I was like, oh, my God, I'm in love with this guy. Oh, my God, I'm also in love with this guy. So it almost makes me, see, it makes me feel like I need to like my draft strategy in some ways might be that I need to grab like two or three of those top guys just to make sure that I have some wiggle room for like, I, I so I'm not sitting there like, Oh crap. I really don't like a lot of these guys um, deep in this draft. But one guy that I do like um, to bounce back this year. And I guess, I guess bounce back is, is a way to describe is Hunter Renfro um, who, you know, in over the last, you take out the shortened season where he hit 156. Like that was just stupid. I don't even know if you remember that he played for the Rays. Like if that nobody's gonna remember that Hunter Renfro ever even played for the Rays, right? 
Then he goes to Boston. He hits 30, 31 home runs, 89 runs with 96 RBIs. Average for him is usually around 250, 260. Like he's not going to hit 300 for you. Absolutely not. But he has never hit below 26 home runs since 2017. And he's hit 31. No, he's hit 33 in 2019, 31 in 2021, and then 29 last year. But he played in that crappy, god-awful Milwaukee's Brewers lineup, which I hate. And I've been saying on this whole podcast, I hate any hitter in that lineup. Like, stay away because they don't produce runs. Um, And now he goes to the Angels, right? And he's going to be in this loaded lineup. They get Rendon back. And whatever Rendon gives them is incredible, right? But then you have Trout, Otani, um, you know, Logan O'Hoppy is going to be in that lineup now, who I absolutely love. So... If he hits 29 home runs again with a 255 average, but it's in the Angels lineup, I think you can expect, you know, 85 runs, 85 RBIs. Does that seem right? Yeah, I think Renfro is a guy that I'm definitely targeting. And and the reason why is because the Angels lineup is so much improved that his counting stats are going to be there. I mean, anytime you're going to be hitting likely behind Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, that's a guy to really look for. And I'm definitely on board with the Renfro love. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like a no brainer. It seems like, I think um, you bring up a good point about the counting stats. And it was one reason that I liked Adolis Garcia, because it's like, I can guarantee this guy's counting stats. Whatever he gives me in the average department is what it is. I feel like Hunter Renfro is actually Adolis Garcia without the stolen bases. I think that's, that's the comp for me. Um, which I like that take. Yeah. But... It's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. All right, hit me with one of yours. Uh, so I guess we can go in the same vein as Alex Verdugo, but I want to talk about Masataka Yoshida. Um, I know you're all over him as a Red Sox fan, I would I would guess. And this guy's more for a points league format, in my opinion. I think that he's going to be such a good real-life hitter that points leagues are really going to favor him. I mean, he's one, of the, he's one of the only guys in the league right now, and he hasn't even taken in that bat that I think could – walk more than he strikes out he did it in japan he's just a very very good contact bat uh he's going to get on base at a very high clip home runs might be a concern stolen bases might be a concern but another guy in that red sox lineup that i think could put up counting stats in a high average yeah the story with yoshida well first you did mention that he he struck out less than he walked in in japan which is crazy a 13 percent walk rate and nine percent strikeout rate and you want to talk about a sample size that's over 3200 plate appearances he hit 327 in that span so you know you're gonna see regression coming over and and facing major league pitching but at the same time a guy with that approach i almost feel like the levels of regression are going to be so much less especially he's not young right he's a 28 year old 29 year old like he's a veteran at this point um like we've seen guys come over and struggle haseon kim came over and struggled but i think he's in for a better year this year i don't think you're going to see the growing pains like we did see with haseon kim though and the, the interesting storyline with Yoshida will be where he hits in the lineup because when he came over, the story was, all right, he kind of fits perfectly in the leadoff spot. Trevor Story's hurt. Yoshida's this on-base magician. It makes sense for him to hit in the leadoff spot, but as of late, uh, Cora's come out and said, you know what, I don't know. Maybe he'll hit leadoff, but maybe he'll hit you know, third, fourth, fifth, where he that's where he hit uh, over in Japan. So we'll see. Um, 
but I think you're right about him being a points league god. But even in in five by five leagues, like I think, what do you think the home run potential is here with him? Is it 15? Is it 18? Like, where are you at there? The two numbers you just spit out are exactly the range I was going to give, and that's 15 to 18. Okay. Uh, I know a lot of projection systems have him hitting 20 home runs, and just from seeing what he did in Japan. I don't know if that's entirely feasible. Um, I I would maybe err towards 15, 16 home runs, I think is a good estimate. Yeah, and he'll probably be a doubles machine in Fenway. Like, he's going to pepper the monster the other way. I can guarantee you that. Um, Dan, a guy I want to talk about, and I don't know if, like, what my take on him is, but all I do know is that he could be a really good player. Um, but we just haven't seen him. Michael Conforto didn't play baseball last year. And the last time we did see him play, he had somewhat of a down year for the Mets in 2021. He hit only 232, uh, only 14 home runs, only played 125 games. The expected stats were well above that, but you know, he had back-to-back like three back-to-back seasons from 2017 to 2019, where, you know, he really was one of these up and coming outfielders that was on the cusp of almost becoming a, a star, man. Like he had 4.4 war, um, in 2019, 33 home runs and 90 plus runs in RBIs with seven stolen bases. Like that was a hell of a season. Do you, what do you, what are you expecting from him this year? Especially moving, um, to whatever they call the giant stadium these days, Oracle park. It's still, it. it should still be a TNT, but yeah, Oracle, um, Michael Conforto is an interesting guy to me. And when I play fantasy baseball, I'm not exactly the most risk averse person you'll find. I really like upside. I think Conforto has a lot of it. I mean, you you mentioned that he was approaching star levels, and I'd argue that he was there, um, at least for a short, brief time, you know. And he has so much talent that I definitely would buy in at price. But the park is a concern, and the lineup, I do not expect it to be that great. Also, they brought in Mitch Hanniger, you know, Tyro Estrada is a name that a lot of people like, but... I don't know. I don't know if I can trust him to stay healthy. And I, I don't know if I can trust him to actually put up numbers when he is on the field. Yeah, I think the health is a big concern. I also think he's a perfect example of a guy who's a much more real life relevant player than he is a fantasy relevant player at this stage in his career. Like projection systems have him anywhere from a 115 WRC plus to a 120 WRC plus, which is ridiculous. Like projection systems that are usually very conservative. That's a very high number. But on the other side, they only have him projected for like 15 to 18 home runs. You know, not many runs at RBIs in this kind of crappy Giants lineup. And he's not going to hit for a high average. He never has. So I think you're right. It's a guy that I'm not afraid of taking if he falls. He's being taken right now, ADP 236. Like if you can get him around there and you're trying to fill a hole, it's not the worst pick you can take. Yeah, I, I agree there. I mean, there's upside for sure. All right. So let's move on, Dan, because I think there's a guy on the board that's being taken kind of right around where Yoshida is being taken right before where Conforto is being taken that you really like. And I have on my list for guys I'm staying away from. So Riley green is that guy. I want you to go first and give me your pitch on why you're targeting a former top prospect. That's going to get his second chance at the big league level this season. Yeah. I mean, the tigers lineup is really like poor, but Riley Green's definitely interesting because he was of that top prospect ilk, like not that long ago. 
I think he's a he has the potential to be a really good hitter. He's got immense like raw power. We haven't seen it really at a game level yet. But I think we could see, you know, some hints of that this year. I don't know if he's going to entirely break out in his sophomore season, but he's a guy that I'm definitely interested in. I know a lot of other people are too, because his ADP at the beginning, you know, just talking from uh, NFBC, his ADP has jumped massively since where it was a couple months ago. And I think guys are starting to realize how much potential he definitely has. Um, It's just the lineup is a concern, you know, when it comes to counting stats and stuff. But I think on his own, could be a really 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 valuable bat you might be selling me like I, I i think this is a guy that i came in here was like i don't think i'm gonna draft him but you might be selling me a little bit just because you bring up the lineup as a concern but i for one think spencer torkelson is gonna bounce back this year i'm high on him coming into this year whatever javi Baez does this year can't be the worst thing like he's still gonna drive guys in and riley green is basically locked into either first, second, or third in this lineup. Like, they're not going to put him anywhere else but there. My only concern with Green is, well, one, it's ballpark, because that ballpark is bad. I don't care how much they're moving center field in. Like, brutal, brutal ballpark, right? Then, you also talked about him activating into that raw power that he does have, because he does have it. A 45% hard hit rate last year is very good. A 9.3 barrel percent percentage is even better. Um, but an average launch angle of 2.8 degrees and a ground ball rate of 56% is, you know, it's, it's insane. Like you're not going to be able to activate off of that raw power. Um, but I mean, maybe that's just like, that's an adjustment that I'll need to make. And I think it's an adjustment or like a learning curve or, or, you know, guys just need the reps at the big league level. Like it's almost unfair to put that pressure on a 21 year old. Like he was 21 last year. Maybe I, maybe I need to pump the brakes a little bit here and give him some slack. Um, so I think you might be selling me on Riley green because yeah, like what's the worst that he does this year? Like he hit 253 last year. Like I think he can only improve on 253 last year. Um, and I think the power should only increase and he should only get more comfortable on the base paths. Like, you know what? Yeah, you sold me. I'll be drafting Riley Green now. So good job, Dan. You did your job. <laughs> good, good, good. All right. Who should we talk about next? Um, I, I got some interesting ones here. I kind of want to talk about Jared Kalanick because he's been like all the talk of spring training so far. And this was a guy that, you know, I was bought into long, long ago as a prospect. This is a guy that I kept getting myself bought back into last year. Like he would go down to triple a last year, become the best hitter on earth for two weeks, come back up, completely struggle and then go back down to triple a and like be himself. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, in the same vein that we're talking about Riley green struggling when he comes up as a 21 year old, like the same thing has happened to Jared Kalanick. Jared Kalanick came up as a rookie in 2021, massively struggled, you know, hit, still hit 14 bombs in 93 games, but hit only 181, was striking out a crap ton. And the, you know, the balls he did put into play were, were bad. Then what does he do last year at the major league level? He's even worse. And I don't even know how that's possible, Dan, right? He hit 141. He hit 141. I Like that blows my mind for a guy that was ranked as a top three prospect. But at the AAA level last year, he hit 295. He had 18 home runs, nine stolen bases. Like, legitimately, this guy's still only, what, 
turn he's 23 years old like i feel like it's a bit premature to to say that jared kelenic is already a bust because this might be the year that he finally you know puts it together and if he does put something better than he did last year together like what does he hit 230 with like 20 home runs 10 stolen bases like i think that's pretty damn valuable for where he's being drafted what do you think about that yeah, I mean, Kellenick's a guy that I think a lot of people really were high on, as you were, um, as a prospect. I certainly was. You know, when you when you watch some of his AAA games and film and stuff like that, you were like, this guy looks like a superstar. It just, you know, it hasn't translated. And there, there are certain things to like. I mean, you look at last year, he had a 94th percentile max exit velocity, which means he knows how to hit the ball hard. It's just he doesn't do it on a consistent basis. He He looks overmatched at times. This is a guy that I'm personally staying away from this year, but at the same time, I'm watching for 2024 purposes. I think if he if he doesn't prove me incorrect this year, I'll be I'll be very much in next year. I to me, the only reason that I'm really in, I mean, not the only reason, because he brought up the max exit velocity. He had a 13.6% barrel rate, too. That's crazy. Like it's insane that a guy with what you would think is actually a pretty good batted ball profile. He does hit the ball in the air, maybe a little bit too much. Like his fly ball rate's pretty insane. Um, would have that bad of an average, I guess. But I think if he starts hitting just a few more line drives, like he's right there. And I think it was a confidence issue for him last year too, at the big league level. Like he was in his own head completely. And now he has three home runs to start spring training. Like maybe he's using all the juju up in spring training and like, he's going to completely flounder again, but his draft price right now, Dan, like he's being taken near, you know, Chris Taylor, who I know you like Garrett Mitchell, who I know you like, you like actually all these guys. So I'm interested to hear like why you're taking, you know, Chris Taylor, Garrett Mitchell, Jake Fraley over him. Um, but even like, you know, Nick Gordon's being taken over Jared Kelly. Like why not take a shot on him at that price and counter me? Yeah. I mean, counter me, Dan, no, you, you, say to my you face, make a that good I'm an point. idiot. like, come on. <laughs> You you make a good point because the upside is there. It's just, I guess it's really dependent on the format of your draft. If you're drafting in a best ball league, you'd rather take, you know, good production. If you're drafting in or in a, you know, standard five by five with, you know, whatever, maybe Jared Kellenick is a guy you want to take a chance on just because the upside is there. We, we know what he is capable of. He has just not put it together. And it's, it's really unfair to him because the talent's there and we are not really giving him enough of a runway to be able to prove himself. Um, he, he, a lot of the top prospects now these days, Julio Rodriguez is a great example, his own teammate where they came, they come up and they're immediate superstars. Some guys need to come into their own. They need to be given that runway to be able to figure themselves out. And I think Kalanick's a great option that could bounce back. I mean, the, like I keep saying, the talent is there. He could be a five category contributor at his peak. We just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Dan, I want you to I want you to talk about Garrett Mitchell because this is a former, you know, top pick and somewhat hype prospect. Um, UCLA guy, right? I believe he went to UCLA. Yes. U- UCLA? It's either UCLA or UCSB. Okay. Yeah, it is UCLA. It is UCLA. Um, so Garrett Mitchell, it, it was funny. Like our I we have a good uh, mutual friend in Kev and I was telling him how much I liked Garrett Mitchell 
And the reason why is because of that 99th percentile sprint speed. And I don't exactly believe in him as a bat yet. I think the future is bright for him. I think he could be solid. He's always going to be a high BABIP guy, which could lead to him being a very high uh, batting average guy. We don't know. But then he went out and cracked two home runs in the first spring training game against the Dodgers. And I was entirely sold after seeing that, you know, small sample size, you know, say what you will. But he's an excellent outfielder. Absolutely excellent. He's going to be out in the outfield every game for them. Um, I think he's a guy to take a chance on past pick 300. I, I like his profile. And if your league, you know, you need stolen bases, he's a good option. Very cheap and late. Well, uh, the other thing to mention about Garrett Mitchell, it, it, he's a guy that hasn't played that much because of, he's dealt with injuries. Um, but when he has been on the field, like the pace at which he steals bases is pretty ridiculous. He stole nine bases last year in just 20 games at AAA. And then he came up to the big leagues and did eight eight steals in 28 games. Ridiculous. Are the strikeouts a concern to you for him? Because I know he's a guy that struck out a lot over his career in the minor leagues, and then he struck out 41% of the time in the big leagues. Is that a concern for you? Also, Sal Freelick is right there kind of on the back burner. Like, is he going to have kind of a short... Um, do you think they're going to... They're just letting him ride? I think they're going to let him ride. And I think something that helps him is something that just came out today with the Tyrone Taylor injury, because he was a guy that was going to buy for at bats too. And the word is that Taylor's going to miss the start of the season. Um, I really like self relic, but Garrett Mitchell, because like I said, he is going to be a valuable real life player that actually plays very solid defense. Um, he's going to, he's going to be in the lineup at least to start. And as long as he proves to be an average kind of hitter in real life. I think he's going to return a lot of fantasy value on a per game basis, because as you mentioned, he racks up stolen bases at a very high rate per game. Um, there's no doubt in my mind, he could still 40 in a full season. It's like, it, it kind of is at Alberto Mondesi esque. Like it, it's close. a little bit. <laughs> it really is close. Like Alberto Mondesi would steal like one every two games, you know, if, if Garrett Mitchell is like one every three games, that's freaking insane. So, yeah, man, I mean, he's looking like a good option, I think, late in drafts, uh, especially if you like you missed out on steals and you're in a roto or you're in like a five by five league and you just completely forgot about steals. He's kind of that perfect option. Like just to give you a heads up, he's being taken ADP 307. Like, dear God, take him at 285 and your steals are set. It's a very, very interesting option. Um, Dan, all right, who else do I have left on my list that I wanted to talk about? Um, I have Brendan Donovan written down because we didn't touch on him when we talked about like second or third base, and I kind of wanted to touch on him now um, because Brendan Donovan, to me, is a guy that's going to be guaranteed at bats for the Cardinals like at the leadoff spot or the two-hole. Like, for me, I think they want Tommy Edmond to hit ninth. And Brendan Dominant seems like he's comfortable in that leadoff spot. He made a change to his um, stance this year. So hopefully he can get into some more power. Um, but yeah, last year, Dan, 281. He only hit five home runs, which is concerned. But like, you know, if he's a high average, high run producer, and maybe he mixes in a few more home runs this year, like, what do you think the value is there? Are you, it's this guy you're staying away from. But he does have that multi positional eligibility to me that's kind of cool too. Yeah, I actually had him on multiple teams last year uh, here and there because of that multi-position eligibility. It's super valuable. 
Um, I don't think that there's really that much power upside, and I don't think there's a ton of speed upside either with him. But in that lineup hitting in front of Goldschmidt and Arenado, he could have a lot of value in the run scoring department that a guy like Tommy Edmond used to re- or was returning or Colton Wong long ago was returning. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely somebody that interests me, especially in leagues that take into account on base percentage because he is an on base machine. I mean, his, his walk rate was absolutely incredible last year and uh, he's definitely a good, he's a good hitter. I mean, he's 26 kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, but I think that he is going to return some kind of value and he's a good guy to take a flyer on late. Yeah, he's probably one of those guys that like in real life is such a good player that you really don't know about because also the Cardinals have like 15 good hitters that are vying for at bats, but Donovan's going to stay in the lineup. He plays everywhere too, which is huge. Um, Dan, another guy that I'm interested in, I kind of want to get your opinion on is Oscar Colas for the White Sox. Um, Seems like he should be given the key to the city. Like like he's going to be giving it bats and on this team at least he should be like who are they gonna play over him larry garcia or like you know he should be given opportunity the only problem is is he's gonna strike out a ton but the raw power is ridiculous like last year in double a as a 23 year old 257 iso um he hit 306 he's a high babip guy once again the only problem is he's not gonna give you much speed um but I feel like if he sticks in this lineup, like the RBI and run production mixed with some elite power could be pretty dang valuable late in drafts. Yeah, I think he's very similar to a guy, maybe not with the average uh, average floor as Aloy Jimenez, his own teammate. But I think that there is some comparisons to be made between the two. And they're in the same lineup. I, I think that the White Sox lineup is a lot better than people think. And Colas, although we don't really know too much about him beyond his minor league production, he is on the older side. He is developed. Um, He's a guy that's definitely intriguing, and he's a very popular name in a lot of fantasy conversation right now. Dan, I feel like we zoomed right by some guys being taken earlier in the draft. Um, I want to hit on Lars Newbar because you brought him up to me earlier, and I kind of want your your pitch on him because – He's really, really damage-reaking in a lot of different leagues, too. I think that's, like, the cool thing about Lars Newbards. You can kind of take him in, like, almost any league and feel like you're getting value. Yeah. (laughs) You look at his baseball savant page. I mean, it's just a sea of red, right? And it's hard not to dream on the potential with a guy like that. And I think it was Clay in your last episode brought up a really good point, and that's playing time issues. Um I think that he's going to be in there every day. That's just my opinion, because I think he is so good. He's going to return a lot of real life value. If he is, I'm all in. He hits the ball incredibly hard. He's very fast. He could be a five category contributor. And the issue is ADP is rising very quick on him to the point where I don't know if, you know, you might be able to return a ton of value on him. Yeah, I mean, he's being taken next to, I mean, but I don't like any of these guys he's being taken next to. Like when I, like he's being taken ahead of Verdugo, for example, ahead of Riley Green, ahead of Yoshida, but I think for good reason. But then like, you know, Cody Bellinger's going right around there, Harrison Bader. I think I do like Lars Newtbar better just because of this upside. Like he had, what was it, a 46% hard hit rate last year, a 12.1% barrel rate. Um, and I think like my one concern, I wrote up Lars Newbar 
I think two years ago as like this underrated or was it last year? No, two years ago. I wrote about him as being like this underrated rookie that you haven't heard about. That's going to be really good. Kind of got lucky on that one because he has been really good. Um, I don't really know where I was going with that point, but yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought there. That's on me. Yeah. Anyways, I think something to note with Lars too, is that he betted 228 last year. I think me and you can both agree. That's not going to happen again. The profile is just way too good with Lars Nupar to expect him to hit, I mean, under 250, I would say. It is weird, Dan, because he hits the ball, like he hits the ball on the ground enough that he should get, he might be a guy that gets helped a little bit by the shift too, like the, or the shift rule mm-hmm. adjustments too. Um, but yeah, he kind of just has this optimal profile, man. Oh, the point. Okay, now I remember where my, my thought was going. He hits lefties. He's a lefty that hits lefties, which is so important. Like always, 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 whenever you're drafting a lefty and you're like, wow, this guy mashes, make sure that he hits lefties because you're going to be missing out on like a third of the guy's games that he's going to be putting up crappy production for you when he faces a lefty. So always look at that. Lars hits lefties as a lefty. Very, very important. Um, Dan. Oscar Gonzalez mm-hmm. is being drafted ADP 186. What can you give me on Oscar Gonzalez, who, again, also to me, kind of a guy that's come out of nowhere um, and is kind of a platoon guy? Yeah, I, I think a lot of his value has been pushed up just because of what he did in the playoffs last year. And a lot of people remember that um, for the Guardians. And He's not a guy that I'm interested in whatsoever at price. I think he would have been an interesting flyer had he been going 100 picks after his ADP. But, you know, I ask you this, like another guy that we haven't even mentioned is Joey Manessis. Like, is there really that much difference in what you can expect between the two? And I think Gonzalez is going something like 40 to 50 picks earlier than Joey Manessis right now. Yeah, he is. And um I th- yeah, Joey Manessis will like power upside is above that of Oscar Gonzalez in my opinion. Um, yeah, I agree. I-, I feel like I'm just staying away from this crowd. Like, give me Alex Verdugo, give me Riley Green and Yoshida, <laughs> and we'll move on, Dan. Like, yeah, Fair I think enough. that's where I'm Fair at right enough. now. Um, oh, another guy that I think, um, if you're just kind of stuck and you want the safest option out there, like we've given a lot of high upside names. A really safe option for me is Brendan Nimmo. Like he's just going to produce across the board, and I can kind of hang my hat on that. Um, So if you're kind of in a panic, and you need an outfielder, and like guys are just flying off the board at this ADP, and you're like, well, I don't really love any of these guys. I think Nimmo is a, is a good safe option. Yeah, I saw you took him in your draft last night, right? I did, yeah. I got on that price, yeah. too. I was happy about that. Um, a lot of the guys yeah. that I talked about in this episode, I actually did take last night. So I did get uh-huh. way outbid, or not outbid, but like a guy, like I mentioned, took Verdugo like 60 spots ahead of ADP, which I thought was just insane. So sometimes you lose those, and that's fine. That guy can go live on with his Verdugo share at ADP 140 or whatever it was. But um, yeah, you got any more names? I'm kind of running out here. Um so hit me with whatever else you got left, man. Yeah, I got two more quick hits for you. So a guy that I think is going to be just fine is Chris Taylor. He played all of last year hurt and has been one of the more interesting multi-position eligibility type guys in fantasy for a couple of years now. 
Gavin Lux being out means that he is going to play every day until the Dodgers make some kind of move. And if they do uh, to bring in more talent, but as of right now, Chris Taylor is going to be starting every day somewhere, whether that be in the outfield at shortstop, he's been getting more reps or possibly even at second base with the Miguel Vargas injury. He has the power. He has a speed. I mean, he strikes out at a ridiculous clip. I mean, he set the Dodgers record for single season strikeouts, but he's a guy I'm definitely interested where he's going. And then, the, the other guy I wanted to talk about was a Dodger last year also, just coincidence, but Joey Gallo. Uh, with the with the shift gone, I think Joey Gallo can be a guy that's very interesting once again. He's not that far removed from being a very, very good hitter. You bring up two interesting ones. Chris Taylor, the interesting one too, is that he's probably going to get shortstop eligibility because... Dave Roberts said he's going to play some shortstop. Um, so if he'll have second base, shortstop, and outfield eligibility, that's really intriguing. What the hell happened to him last year, though? Like, can you give kind of like some analysis there? 35% K rate. I mean, he was always a high strikeout guy. He's always been like in the high 20s, but it ballooned last year. That was just insane. Is there anything? Yeah, I think it's that? just a product from him playing hurt. I he was playing hurt. And he's such a valuable piece to that Dodgers roster that they were trying to get him in the lineup even when he wasn't a hundred percent because that's just kind of the player he is. He's a plug and play guy, you know. He's not, he's not a superstar. I mean, they really What's did that? need it. They needed it last year. Like Bellinger wasn't oh, playing well. Like there were guys that just weren't playing well. They needed him in the lineup, especially because his defensive value is so high. Um, in a down year, like this is why Chris Taylor is getting paid fifteen million dollars a year. Like in a down year where he was a ninety three WRC plus, he still put up one point nine WAR. But yeah, man, like I don't see why not to draft Chris Taylor. Like there doesn't seem to be a case against it because. If you expect his K rate to like normalize closer to 30%, which is where it's been right around like for most of his career, um, and you assume that he's healthier, the power is going to return. He put up a career low ISO basically last year. So, like, you're right. There was definitely some precedent to him playing hurt. If he returns to being like a 180 to 200 ISO guy, then he's back to being like 15 to 20 home runs. 10 plus stolen bases, um, hopefully a higher average off of that. Like I find more ways that this pays off at it, the current draft price than it, it like slaps you in the face. I totally agree. And the lineup is so good that if he, if he's in there even hitting fifth or sixth, which is possible, he's going to be hitting behind mashers like Will Smith, JD Martinez, Freddie Freeman, you know, and I, I just, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think, that there's not much to dislike about him, even though his numbers last year, kind of an aberration from what we've come to expect from him. Um, I don't think that age is a factor. I think it was just injury related and he's going to return to maybe slightly under what he did, you know, the two, three seasons prior. Yeah, man, I agree. All right. I think that wraps it up. I do want to end this episode. You're a Dodgers fan. I want to end this episode with, I think the funniest thing I've seen all week and spring training. Miguel Vargas, who I don't know if we've even touched on him on this show, but he's a player that you should definitely be targeting in your drafts. Um, last year at AAA, 17 home runs, 16 stolen bases with a 304 average. It's a guy didn't strike out last year, struck out as much as he walked last year at AAA. But he got hit by a pitch, broke his pinky, right? Was it, It's fracture of his pinky. Yep. He cannot swing a bat 
but he's still playing spring training games, getting his defensive reps at second because that's where he's slated to play this year. And guess what? Pitchers know he can't swing the bat, Dan. Guess what? They've walked him four times this spring training. That is unbelievable. Yeah, I didn't know it was that many. He's, he walked <laughs> again today. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So he's expected to be healthy. Definitely target him in your drafts. He's going to be second base eligible. I know he's already third base eligible, extremely valuable at a second base position. That's just, there's nothing there. So that's what we're ending the episode on. I uh, appreciate you coming on, man. It's nice to have you on. I think we'll definitely have you on again because you you know your stuff. You know your fancy yeah, stuff. So go make sure, on, plug, plug your Twitter, plug whatever else you want to go for, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Talk mostly about baseball, and right now, a lot about fantasy baseball. So my Twitter is at Dan J Preciado. You can find me there. While we're talking to Colby on Twitter too, uh, you'll see some of those conversations as well. Some really bad memes will be seen. Um, all right, that'll do it. Just <laughs> fantasy baseball. That's sleeper outfield plus a little Miguel Vargas talk mixed in there. Um, we'll catch you next episode. Adios.